Hello, Rob. Uh, welcome to North v South, um, a podcast about, uh, but not about, design, um, with more errs in it than a wandering minstrel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's my new yeah. strap line. What do you reckon? I like it. Approved I like it. or not yeah, approved? Absolutely. Tick okay. that one off. Right, okay. I'm putting that in. Um, I'll get my uh, stonemasons to start working on it. And how are you, how are you this week? I'm very good. Uh, although we've just discovered I've got a bit of a, a croaky voice and a bit of a sniffle. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I'm absolutely tickety-boo. It's, uh, it's been another quite nice week, but working on the island again to, at the beginning of the week, which was nice. I made friends with a Norwegian forest cat, which I didn't know existed until I found one on the island, uh, called Sydney. But your sister will probably know it, actually. Everyone seems to know it on the island. All right. Um, and then the last couple of days I've been working from home uh, for the same client. They run out of desk space. So I've been doing some just uh, creating assets for an animation, which is, you know, one of those kind of production line jobs, uh, but which is fine. Kept me busy. And I got a couple of commissions on. So all good. What about you? What have I been doing this week? Um, I have been designing a kitchen for ourselves. Um been wrestling with, yeah i've been wrestling with the ikea 3d floor plan app mm-hmm. which is enough to make anybody scandinavianly suicidal <laughs> uh, have you uh, have you tackled it have you you know have you beaten it into submission i have now um uh, and we went in there and and uh th- they use the people the poor people who have to design the kitchens there you have to use the same software it's just a bit more i think it it, it runs locally so it's not slow yeah. but my god terrific impressed about it, yeah they were well she was like oh yeah I didn't she didn't really have to do much but um it, even when we were with her it crashed about five times <laughs> that's really quite poor isn't oh, it it's just appalling it really is but it's um it's done now uh and now we're deciding we're not going to use ikea <laughs> <laughs> is it all down to the app uh, no, no, it's not. It's um, no, it's difficult, isn't it? I've never had a big kitchen project like I this before. I've never had um, a big kitchen, and it's expensive because um, we've got a lot of building work to do beforehand. So we're knocking mm-hmm. around some walls and windows and all sorts of things to make a space a little bit more practical to live in. And um, so that that eats all your money. Then we're going to have to, you know, then you've got all the gas and the electrics to reroute and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. It, it's it quite just, daunting. Yeah, it's quite Things daunting, and it, and it adds up and adds up, and um, yeah, and then so we we were kind of going with a bespoke designer. Um, we haven't decided whether we're going to do that yet, but he's given us a lot of comfort in the fact that he's design led, and he, you just give it to him, and he does the rest of it. And he's a professional design, you know, design and fitter. So. Yeah. It, there's a lot in that and I think I can take away a lot of experience you know that I've had in the design industry of trying to do things yourself and sometimes it's just best to hand it to to professional people but Absolutely. It, you know it comes at a cost it does but more peace of mind exactly yeah you're not managing all the different trades um which just don't have time to do yeah um, did you ask him to um design and fit a small part of the kitchen for free first to see if you liked what he did <laughs> I've asked him just to, yeah, could you plumb in the sink? Yeah. Maybe I'll look at <laughs> your work. We'll, we'll come back to you. We're, we're having, we've got five other um, <laughs> designers putting in five sinks and yep. we choose the one we like. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, more that of that later. Very wittily uh, touched upon there. That's our main topic for this week, which is uh, spec and, uh, and pitch work. Um, but we'll come back to that. Uh, and in other things, what have I been doing? Um, I, I'm doing. I'm hopefully kicking off some brand new branding with a um, a stylist, which is very, very Ooh. London based and trendy. Sounds um, not good. Not at all me. Um, oh come on. Oh, what else am I doing? I'm designing now. Finally, for, uh, got a, this website that um, has been held up since January. Has all been signed off for the design. So I'm ploughing into HTML. Yeah, nice. Yeah, which I like doing. Um, and uh, yeah, other than that, busy with other things. But yeah. yeah. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention is I f- this this week I find myself in a magazine. What? Yeah. Oh. Uh, Centre art- spread. <laughs> yeah, the staple's terribly painful. <laughs> um, no, I'm in uh, 
Artists and Illustrators magazine, which really? is a magazine I used to read as a kid when I was kind of into, you know, painting and things. Yeah, they featured one of my... Actually, it was the tip you mentioned, the um, coins and tracing paper masking. They saw that on Twitter. And um, it's it's in their magazine this week. A couple of pictures, a little bit of a quote from me. Oh, well done, it's you. It's nice. My mum's terribly proud. I bet she is. That's brilliant, mate. And uh, did you know it was going to be in there? They said it might be if they had room. They yeah. might use it. They said. Yeah. So the whole family are featuring in magazines. Yeah, that's it. He's Steph on the cover of magazines last last week or last month, and uh, yeah, very impressive. <clears throat> so that, yeah, that was a nice thing to uh, discover today. Are you right like, talking to me then? Um, well, you know, next week I might get my people to talk to your people. Okay, <laughs> whatever. <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, design news. What have you got for us this week, Jonathan? Um, I have got. Uh, the first thing that I've got, and I've got to be careful here because I don't want to get sued, um, but it's uh, it's I've my title for it is Dyson's gone viral. Yes, um, there's been a recent report out saying that um, the Dyson air dryer, hand dryer, I don't know what the name of the thing is called, but the, you blade. Know, the, really, the blade, the really fast thing that makes you. But it's like um, Roger Moore's face in Moonraker. You know, it goes all wobbly. <laughs> yes, that's the one. Um, throws germs um much further than um other hand dryers and also obviously paper towels there seems to be a war between the paper towel industry and dyson i did i did wonder whether the report that it mentions in the article was uh, was funded by you know kleenex or something well it's what uh, in the independent dyson reposted saying that you know the paper towel industry has always had it in for us <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's time they threw in the towel isn't it but um, yeah, it's interesting that uh, we are inventing all these amazing modern things, but not actually realizing how useless they are at, uh, yeah. at contaminate. At, you know, not useless at contaminating. They're really rather good at it. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think it's always known that kind of a, like Legionnaires' disease was always much more prevalent in uh, those kind of old-fashioned hot air hand dryers than it was on, you know, the the towels that you had to kind of pull down and round and stuff. Right. Um, so I guess. <clears throat> take it to the next level and um, uh, a super fast supersonic hand dryer is going to be even worse now with the uh with the air the hand dryers i you know this whole bladeless technology is there are blades aren't they they're just hidden um and that's the whole thing about dyson that i don't like we've got a dyson handheld jobby for the dogs and yep. um i hate the design of <clears throat> dyson I'll, I'll go on record here and say, say it out openly i hate the inside out pompidou center look of them um oh, yeah. but there's no other product on the market that is anywhere near them in terms of battery and um, we tried a i don't know what the other makes were but it was absolutely rubbish yeah um i'm vaguely sort of indifferent to dyson i don't we've got a dyson hoover and i don't think it's brilliant but it's better than all the other rubbish hoovers i've ever had i like uh, henry yeah <laughs> but he's been banished has he? Yeah. Is he still smiling in the corner of the garage or something? He is. It's a, it's a, it's a Richter smile. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other Dyson news was that he's just uh, he's just released a um, hairdryer, hasn't he? A bladeless, oh, yeah, I saw fanless yeah. hairdryer, which he's spent £50 million developing. Which that's just what seems, we need. Yeah. It just seems like, and it costs 300 quid or something. Um, but it just looks like a a tiny version of his um, fan, you know, the bladeless fan that's just yeah. kind of like a circle. I and it uses, that is a beautiful object. Yeah. I, I don't, do I care enough about the choppy nature of a no. standard fan to spend five times as much on a Dyson? No. Well, it's, it's never bothered me drawing my hair. <laughs> no, I think that, you know, the marketing department invents a lot of problems that we we really don't have it's like it's yeah. like a nest isn't it we you yes know, they're not really problems that are uh, that are being solved they're just furthering more problems <laughs> yeah i'd be interested to see what else he comes up with though. he's you know he's sort of visual design for these little things he's pretty cool but uh, hmm i wonder when he'll move into um philanthropy do you think he will actually making things that are useful for yeah, you see, you'd think, you know, with his background, he could be creating all sorts of innovative medical devices, wouldn't you? Yeah. 
Yes. So what's what's up on your on your roster? Well, uh we mentioned it uh a few weeks ago about the Tokyo Olympics having its uh public consultation about its logos. Oh yeah, you weren't happy about that, were you? Well, neither of us were really, because they <clears throat> it was another one of these cases of, you know, asking the wrong questions and you know, just commission someone, make some good design, let them you know, let them get on and do what they're trained to do. Um, but the result that they've picked the one that I thought was least offensive, <laughs> which is um, by I don't actually know who it's by Asayo Tokolo, uh, and it's this um, checkered pattern in uh, like a dark blue, which I had no idea of its relevance in Japan. Um, but it's a, a pattern which is known as Ikematsu Moyo, which came to prominence in the Edo period in the 1600 and something. Um, apparently it expresses a refined elegance and sophistication that exemplifies Japan. Mm. Looks quite nice. This, uh, I quite like it because it's a bit more subdued than many of the crappy Olympic logos we get. Particularly yeah, these days, they're all sort of swooshy and with gradients and things and i think seen in isolation as well it's nice i I don't like you know when we saw those new zealand flags i can't make head nor tail of it visually because it's Mm. just a it's just a riot on the page isn't it but when you see it actually laid out uh smartly i think it's i think it's nice i think the olympic one is is nice yeah nice yeah that's a pathetic word isn't it but uh i think it's it's calm and interesting and it is. I like the texture, but there's no texture on it. Yeah. You know what I mean? yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so it'd be uh, it'd be good to see what they do with that because obviously with the 2012 Olympics, the logo came in for huge amounts of stick, and then it was used so effectively that everyone kind of forgot how much they didn't like it originally. So um, the only thing I don't like about it is the trademark on it. <laughs> yeah. Why? Why? I don't. Know. It's terrible. <laughs> I mean, they're isn't so it? they're so ridiculously over the top with the with the. Um, the legal protection of the Olympics anyway. It's appalling, isn't it? You know, you don't have to put that on there. No. Um, it should be a registered trademark anyway, shouldn't it, in the UK? <clears throat> I think so. I don't think TM means anything, does it, legally? Uh, I don't know. Just... No, not in the UK, I don't think. I think it's, you have to have a registered trademark. Oh. I think Good elsewhere it's... There's no knowledge there. Yeah. Well, I've had that situation with, you know, products internationally. <clears throat> so <clears throat> trademark yeah. works in some countries in Europe but not others. And Okay. Uh, but it, 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 essentially, it's meaningless, isn't it? Uh, anyway, I've gone completely off topic there, as ever. Uh, your go. No, my go. <laughs> your go. Hugo. Um, well, I'm trying to think what my next one was. Um, well, I'm going to skip ahead a to one that may... Be, if I'm going to be ranting and a bit annoyed, um, there's an article in Fastco Design that I saw on, I think somebody put it on Twitter. Um, And it's uh, an article about a company called Frog Labs who've developed a series of wooden toys. Um, Now, this article's got in it a lot of things that I hate about the design industry (laughs) and also about our, you know, our naval gazing and the fact that a lot of what we we do is completely um either unsustainable or concept based or just lifestyle horrendous and this one is all three um because it's a um it basically the title of it is clickbait to start with and it's uh, the title is frog creates the most charming anti-ipad game ever okay so i don't know how you can be anti something and charming at the same time but i'm trying to be it at the moment um but Basically, they've created a series of wooden toys that then uses an app on your iPad to interact with these wooden toys. So how that is anti-iPad um, is anyone's yeah. guess. And um, the other thing is, whatever happened to children just playing with blooming wooden blocks? Because that's all they're interested in. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, um, and the product hasn't been made, you know, Um you know, you can't buy it. I went to, you know, it's just a concept. So the whole article is is just thin air. It's vapour. That's exactly the word I was going to use, yeah. Yeah, and it just makes me cross. I just, you know, I'm constantly reading things that are being written 
because they've got nothing else to write about. That's it. They've and got I'm, to fill their space with something, isn't it? I'm a mug reading it. And that's why I think I gave up before, you know, prior to this podcast, I gave up reading a lot of these articles because they just, they just sap your life strength. Um, there's all these kind of lifestyle photos of, um, you know, a little girl playing with these, you know, beautifully rendered toys with lovely, you know, they're like Scandinavian blocks. Like, yeah, um, they look great. Um, uh, and then, but then they've got some old Chinese guy in some, workshop hand making the models and that's, yeah. and they're using that as a big plus um so i wonder if they paid him uh, a good percentage of what they're then going to sell these on for i i think not but that but that's a promotional piece isn't it but it's a pro- it, the photograph is a promotional piece but mm. it's a promotional piece about something that doesn't exist so why you know so they're creating all the marketing material but not actually building the product i don't understand it, it no i don't know, it doesn't compute with me so it made me a little bit angry about something that I should, should have just like, you know, <laughs> scroll on. There's nothing to see here. <laughs> but I just say we, we, we really are, um, you know, we're our own worst enemies. And when I think other people look in at what, you know, what's going on, um, it, it's obvious to see why people sometimes think that designers are waste, you know, just a waste of time because, you know, I think, you know, we, we experiment with stuff. Um, but don't ever, ca- you know, a lot of the time don't carry it on through to the final product. Um, yeah. And that's what this this is uh, redolent <clears throat> of. Obviously, I'm not talking about the entire design industry. Um, you know, I love design, but um, there is this, uh, I don't know. Look, we're susceptible to that, aren't we? Yeah. Um, there's another, I was doing some research for a client um, and this is another, it's not a news item, but it's basically a working space in London called Second Home. Have you heard of it? uh no there's uh it's um it's very interesting uh i'll post a a link to it but essentially the website is um it's an office uh, like a shared working environment you have to be you know you have to qualify yourself to become a member um by you know being now but they've got a page on their website which is incredibly hard to navigate it's a you know, one of those long scrollers that slides things in now there's a page on it called biophilia I think you're going to you're going to disappear into a small um, sphincter shaped hole when you oh. read this because it is just so pretentious and it sums up everything about um, yeah the things about design that I hate. Um, so there's, uh, there's no square surface in this building; um, everything's round. Um, and there's a film if you scroll down with like a a glass library with these people meditating to plinky plonky piano music <laughs> while it plays. Um, and it talks about how, um, well, the quote is, nature holds the key to our aesthetic, intellectual, cognitive, and even spiritual satisfaction. Jesus. Um, it's an office, guys. Yeah. You know, um, it's it unbelievable. Is I really recommend There's people you, doing yoga it, please in the watch office, the film. It in is, a shared office. Yeah. Um, and the person I was chatting with actually, you know, said that it was an awful place. <laughs> um <laughs> But it's uh, yeah, it's just so pretentious, and it's and, and I think dishonest as well because it it sort of it talks about this you know independent lifestyle uh, you know where you're an artist, um, but you know that that place has been built on the back of you know extreme capital, venture yeah. capitalists, a lot of money coming in and out of it, and it's so dishonest to That's say there's some place to uh, to go. They've and thrown, they've thrown a, a blanket of kind of eco, new age friendliness over a money-making scheme. Yeah. It's a property scheme. Be honest, it? you know, yeah. Rent and, rent it doesn't space. even look that nice. No, and you know everything's going to be falling apart because it's all bespoke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you go to these, uh, you know, bespoke hotels, um, you know, with the with the you know individual bedrooms done up for yeah. you know like the Raj, and then somewhere else, you know, sort of like a leather, I don't know, whatever you call it. But um, yeah, and then after five years of them, they've lost the builder who did the original room, and they're just rather tatty. Um, yeah, we stayed up one called the Bear, I think it was in Oxfordshire somewhere, and I think it had, it had definitely gone past its sell by date. Yeah. Anyway, that's my rant over. Rob, sorry about that. No, 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 that's fine. I might have another look at that website just just to infuriate myself further. Um, my next bit of news is, it's not really news, it's more from Japan. And it's an article I, uh, I don't know where I saw it, but it's about a uh, photographer called Liam Wong. 
uh, and he has captured some photographs of Tokyo. And they're remarkable. They look like kind of psychedelic cyberpunk paintings of a future Tokyo. Um, we're all taken at night, and it's kind of got that incredible sort of detailed street kind of texture that you have in in Japan. Um, and lots of neon, lots of kind of paper lanterns, really dark photographs with all these bright isolated colours or... And I just think they're absolutely beautiful. I mean, they're straight out of Blade Runner. Um, and it's fantastic. I don't think I've ever seen photographs of Japan quite like it. But do you think, are they, they colour-treated, these? Uh, I don't know. Um, I mean, some of them, I don't know. They've, some of them have got such a kind of tonal palette to them that maybe... Um, but I don't know. They're, 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 they're fabulous. They're they are just Blade Runner, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. But even the, you know, the, the slightly wet um, umbrellas in the... Yeah. Yeah. Know, it's just, uh, yeah, and they're all kind of reflecting the neon and... But the, the colours are different to how you'd expect neon. They're much more... Um, slightly more muted, like aren't they? They've been cross-processed. Yeah. So it'd be interesting. I might have to dig in a little further and find out a bit more about Liam Wong and his process. <laughs> oh, he's that on the, like a, that sounds like a prog rock band. <laughs> Liam Wong and his process. Yeah, he's, he's on the, he's on Instagram actually. Jazz nose flute. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Very good. He's an art director for Ubisoft video games. Ah. So that might say something about his uh, aesthetic, I think. You can imagine um, playing against the backdrop of these images. Mm. Yeah. No, fantastic stuff. So well worth having a look up. Uh, he's on uh, Instagram. He's Liam Wong 9. Liam Wong 9. But yeah, lovely stuff. Um, my last bit is, um, I've got a couple, but no, I'm going to go with, um, uh, I saw an article. I don't know why there's been an article about these guys, but they're called Assemble. Um, they're a design and architecture collective and they won the Turner Prize last year. Um, oh yes, I, I I hadn't put two and two together. I remember them winning the Turner Prize. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure why there was a um, an article now. Um, I didn't know they'd won the 2015 Turner Prize because I hadn't really been following much, having just mm. had a baby last year. So um, excuse my ignorance, but um, they uh, are like a band of um, pirates. Really, they 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 do all sorts of different things. Um, you know, none of them are qualified architects, I've discovered. Um, they're just sort of um, creating spaces and interactive installations <coughs> that are community-based. Um, and I find this kind of stuff really positive. I thought this was a good juxtaposition to what we've just been talking about, mm. um, that they're doing something positive in the world. There was a brilliant – there's a brilliant malapropism in the article. I don't know whether it's the art – with the, it's the, um, the journalist who's – made the boo or the person talking but um they they talked about being having been dealt a soccer punch <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of like is that eric Cantona? yeah <laughs> um but yeah th- definitely check out their work it's very interesting but what i just thought i'd flag up is that it'd be really good to talk about the boundary between art and design and where it lies and where and how it moves and kind of illustration sitting sometimes uncomfortably between the two, um, especially people who are illustrators, um, who are asked to do commercial work. Um, and, uh, you know, how do they feel about that and being able to, uh, train yourself to be commercial about something that is so personal and so, you know, unique to your own talents. Yeah. It is a strange, uh, kind of junction, isn't it? Between, of kind of fine art and commercial illustration or design. Um, and it's not always a, a comfortable meeting, I don't think. Um, so actually, that the Japan um, Olympics logo was designed by an artist, not a designer. Um, I don't know if that says anything about process they went through there. but They're bloody good at Illustrator then, aren't they? 
<laughs> yeah. well, you probably got one of these people to do that. Most artists I know who give me stuff are rubbish at Illustrator. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah, we should definitely talk about that. I, uh, I'm quite conservative, I think, in my view about an overlapping of art. Uh, uh, kind of fine art and design and I I very rarely find it particularly satisfying to look at but having said that I did like what I saw of Assemble uh, last year when there were a few programs about them when they won the Turner Prize um, yeah good good looking article that that's me oh any other newsy bops <laughs> Uh, the other little thing I saw was, uh, again, something we'd mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago, which was we mentioned David Gentleman because we were talking about British Steel might be coming back as a as a brand and it might be bringing back its logo. I haven't heard much more about that. Um, but it was, a, it was a blog post on Marade Design's uh, website. They're a web design agency from York. Uh, and it was... Um, about David Gentleman's illustrations for the new Penguin Shakespeare books. Yeah, I love when that. I say new Penguin, <clears throat> they're not new. They're from the sixties and seventies. Um, new Penguin Shakespeare was the what do you call it? The, the series of books, um, and he did a, a bunch of woodcut illustrations for the covers, uh, and then they were uh, kind of printed in quite sort of vivid, overlapping colours and things, uh, and they're fantastic. There's a bit of, sort of naivety to them. You know, they they look of that age, um, but they're cracking covers, really striking, uh, particularly like uh, Macbeth and Coriolanus. I think are fantastic. Um, and I mentioned this, and, and you've got one of his prints on your wall, haven't you? Yeah, I didn't realise when we were talking about da- uh, David Steele, Steel, <laughs> British Steele, um, <laughs> David Gentleman. I hadn't really, it hadn't clocked, you know, how yeah. vacant I am. I hadn't clocked that that was the designer. He's um, an absolute polymath. Yeah. And because uh, so I love his work from the 1950s, 1960s, I've got a book cover called Platz du Jour um, or Foreign Food. And it's a penguin handbook. Um, it's got an illustration by him. I'll, put, I'll post it on the, um, wherever we post stuff, yeah. uh, Twitter. Um, it's a, postcard that I've got on my wall and I've got very little I'm not you know I don't have a whole wall covered in all sorts of posters and stuff but that's one of them one of the drawings I absolutely love um and that I really wanted to use as the inspiration for the logo for Ellie Press the printing thing because I, okay. I really like that naive English yeah, yeah. uh children's illustration what I'd, I'd call it you know sort of Arthur Ransom style yeah although these the his figures are more um more naive, aren't they? I'd say. Yes, definitely. Um, but yeah, he's what a f- visual genius. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> really, um, yeah, really, really <clears throat> love that. Um, it's like I'm trying to think of her name now. Pauline. Um, she used to do. She did the covers to C.S. Lewis. Um, uh, uh, I'll find her anyway. Uh, mm. Yeah, she. Um, she's very similar um, artist, but. Yeah, he seemed to be. He had des- he had design chops as well. He can lay out a page. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so it was a nice little uh, article that uh, I came across on Twitter. I think. Should we uh, should we crack on with our main? I'm kind of I'm kind of nervous. I, I I don't know why I'm nervous to talk about this topic because we, we were talking about it before the show, weren't we? And we were kind of pacing around it because it's not something that. Um, I mean, I've been in, involved in it a lot uh, and. Uh, I, I'm undecided and I, and I haven't come up with a solution for it. So I think that's why I'm kind of, we, we, we're like prowling up to this topic rather than <laughs> jumping in. Well, uh, let's dive in. So <laughs> spec work, free pitching. Is it good for the design industry? Uh, I think everyone would say no to that. Um, so why does it happen? Yeah, that's the question. Yeah. Um, you can understand from a client point of view why they would invite people to pitch for work um, and why they would uh, invite more than one design agency to pitch for work because, you know, they might argue that how do we know what we want until we see 
the designs? How do we know how good you are until we see it? How do we know that you're going to do the right work for us until we've seen something of what you do? Um, which is, you know, that's got its logic. Um, and certainly for people who aren't used to commissioning design, that almost seems like the perfect way to go about it. You know, let's get loads of people in to show us some stuff, do some work for us, and then we'll just pick the one we like. Um, but the design process is so much more than that, isn't it? And it's so reduced by having to produce work with with no dialogue with the client. You know, just as a response to a brief, you're not going to get the best work out of anyone. Um, and that's the problem with spec work and pitches is that you can't you can't strike up those conversations, those, you know, the in-depth conversations with the client and discussions and that dialogue to work out what it is they want. Because clients might think they know what they want, but they don't always, they're not always necessarily right. Um, you know, I think everyone's been at that point where someone's asked for them to redesign something or give them a new logo. And you think, well, actually, you know, you, you don't need one. What you need to do is, this or and with a free pitch or spec design spec work you know you can't you can't do that you've got to go in there and respond to the brief however limiting that is and then the the, the client's going to pick the one they like the colors of the best or yeah well you're you're crossing that boundary from uh, we were just talking about design to art aren't you it's mm. it's a a subjective knee-jerk decision made on do they like the look of the logo or yeah. the presentation or do they like the design team that's presented to them? Yeah. Um, that is often the case, isn't it? Uh, but yeah, it, it is a tricky one. I mean, I've been involved in a lot of free pitches. <coughs> I absolutely hate them. <laughs> I think they are they sap money out of the business. Is the, absolutely. You know, if, if you're talking about business bad idea then pitches are a stupid stupid thing to do <laughs> especially and for smaller businesses it's yeah. just such a waste of time um so i think that if you're just a one-man band like i am i, I don't even go there you know no. um and i wouldn't be invited generally um and when i've had those conversations where people have asked me i just say no yeah um, but if you're slightly bigger three <clears throat> four five six then it's tempting because if you work in a, I've written here, you know, if you work in a small, um, I'll go back a bit, but if you're a design agency, um, a lot of design agencies tend to specialise um, because you're as good as your last job. And that new, the next job tends to be people who've seen you working within their industry and want you to work or at least around your industry. So for example, a lot of property design agencies who do marketing for property developers are yeah. uh, they work exclusively in that space uh, a lot of hotel you know uh, or you know pub websites they're all mm. designed you know that's all they do or you know they might do other little things around it but generally that's what they specialize in so when you have a client who offers uh, a whole load of new work and they put up a pitch and you know that all your competitors are going to go to that and you're in a limited market then the market dictates to you exactly how you should behave you either won't get a look in or you go along and pitch and you've got a chance to win the business and um that's you know that's the market driving that isn't it it is the market driving that out of behavior that is being handed down from when agencies earned a shed load of money uh and they could afford to throw 15 percent or 20% of their annual revenue at getting new work. It must be a historical thing. But, I mean, the ridiculousness of it is it doesn't happen in any other industry. What, it, architecture? <sighs> they pitch, I don't know. They? Well, I guess they do, don't they? Well, yeah, they call them competitions, don't they? Well, yeah, well, I mean... But, yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah. I think that those, you know, that you would... If you're a large ad, ad agency and you can have a team who pitches for work and then another team who does a, sl- a cheaper team who does the actual grunt work, that's a winning formula. Yeah, absolutely. But that, again... And that's how they do it. That, you know? I, again, again, that shows the ridiculousness of it, doesn't it? Because 
the work that the client is seeing and the people they're meeting are not the people who no. are going to do the work. No, you know, it's the A team doing the pitch. It's the B team doing the. That often happens. Yeah. Um, I've been in ones where the other the other ones are ridiculously unfair, and I don't want to talk about how how um, stupid pitches are. I want to work. I want to get to the the centre of why we do them. But one of the uh, and, that, and that's what I was talking about. One of the reasons is that if you are in a limited market and you've got limited clients, then you need to, to win that work <laughs> to keep going. It's as simple as that. So if yeah, they've biggest, got you over a barrel. If yeah. If your biggest client who's 80% of your revenue or, you know, something ridiculous, like we had um, at Soda with one of our large clients, which you should never get into that situation, but you just yeah. do as a business, you know, you do over years and years, they'll just slowly fill, you know, like a fat cat in the corner. They fill out all of your yeah. revenue. But if they suddenly turn around um, and you've got, eight people nine people working for you and they say well we're asking everyone to repitch this year for the work um that you've been doing quite happily for the last five years what are you going to do you know you're not going to say no are you you're not going to say no unless you know you want to completely reinvent yourself and 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 write out a load of um p45s you know yeah uh so i think it's very easy to be um totally anti it but I've gone completely off topic as ever. Um, but what I'm, yeah, when you go into a pitch um, and you know that there's an agency in there who are currently working for them and they're going to get that work again, that's mm-hmm. the most frustrating. And I've been in two or three of those that are just painful because you are asked to do not just, you know, especially when we were doing um, property marketing, you're doing, you will come up with logo. Uh, what the brochure looks like, what yeah. emails look like, what the hoardings look like. You were involved in one with me, yeah, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a big a big process. And you, we knew that they'd awarded, before our pitch went in, that they'd awarded it to another agency. Yeah. Um, but you still got to go through the motions because they're a client. And it is just a waste of time and money. Um, and the client, like like you say, the client doesn't get any, it targets the brief the response mm. that they get, it doesn't target the problem. Yeah, particularly because I think a lot of the time if uh, a client is is going through this process, they're not going to be incredibly comfortable with commissioning design work. And I think if they're not incredibly comfortable commissioning design work, then their brief isn't going to be great either. And if you're responding to a brief that isn't written very well or it's not targeted very well or it's not addressing their problems very well, then the work that you do in relation to that isn't necessarily going to be what they're wanting. It's just absolutely on a hiding to nothing. No. I mean, there are RFPs, aren't there? Yeah. Um, And they often have ridiculous questions. Um, But you have to want, you know, on on them, which is a bit like a brief, um, but... With those, at least you've got the opportunity to get through that section and then to be to sit in front of them and present yeah. what you think should be the real questions. Now, some people advocate that even at that point, you'd go back to them and say, you should be asking this, this, this and this. But I yeah. think when it's such a white, you know, they've put a massive um, trawler's net into the into the waters, um, it's not really worth engaging at that point, is there? Uh, until your bum's on the seat and there's some money being changing hands. You don't really mm. give over any information really. Yeah. There's, there's always going to be a time when that's going to work for you, isn't it? Where you're going to go back and say, look, this to the client, this isn't, this isn't what you want to be doing. You know, you'd be much better off, you know, approaching this problem you have in this way. And they're going to go, Oh, really? Okay. That's great. Can you help us? You know, there are going to be occasions where that happens, but most of the time it's, you're just going to be banging your head against the wall. I think at that point, yeah, I think if you're um, an MD of a small business and you know that you've got to bring in, you know, I don't know, thirty, forty, fifty thousand pounds a month in revenue, um, and you think, right, okay, well, we can allocate ten, fifteen thousand pounds to this because it's going to bring in a hundred k. That's still a big risk, isn't it? But when that job's only like forty, fifty thousand, or even less, and they're still asking you to pitch for it yeah. for one piece of work. It's it's totally ridiculous, you know. So all of those design, if you ask five, six agencies to pitch for it, you've already spent the money that you should be paying on the job yeah. and people giving you free work that has no qualification in in, in helping you out with a problem. So um, I know I, I I don't know what 
the solution is to get rid of it um, because the larger businesses will continue to do it because it's easy for them to do. Yeah, It's easy for clients to do. It costs them nothing. They get to look at a lot of wide ranging graphic design. Um, and a lot of the time they are conservative people who don't want to push boundaries. They just want to follow what the competition is doing. Um, yeah. And that is the reality of the market, isn't it? It's not all cutting edge um, stuff. It's, you know, very little of it is. is it? Yeah. It's you know, it's design is an iceberg. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So um, I don't know what the, what the solution is. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people signed up to no spec work kind yeah. of websites and writing all sorts of manifestos. Um, but most people who are arguing about it are designers arguing amongst themselves. Um, yes. Design competitions though. Um, what, <clears throat> what, what do you feel about those? I think they're as bad, if not worse. Right. <laughs> um, because I think in that case, you quite often sign away any rights you've got to the work. Um, you're, you know, you've been asked to, to design a logo or, you know, a poster for something and thousands of people will um, do the same. Um, because they're usually sort of well-publicised sort of things. Um, so you've got even less chance of being the winner. You're still doing the same amount of work. And in competitions, you know, you're often doing all of the work, aren't you, rather than just a pitch. Um, and yeah, for minimal um, reward, quite often. You know, it's competitions, it's quite often you'll get, you know, a small flat fee if you're, winning design is chosen or you know it's all about um uh, you know you will publicize your work for you or you know I th- I, they've devalued design even more i think yeah i i am um, funnily enough um have you just entered a design competition john no i've never done no i've never done that i've, I've entered um i did i've done a couple i've done one t-shirt design for threadless um, okay, yeah, I've got to be honest, I did that as well. But I think that is, um, I think that's fair play. I think it's it's built a community for artists. It's 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 brought in a lot of talent into the industry. It pays them really generously. I mean, they're generally kids. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, I think that um, it's a good, you know, it's a good business. And it, I think it's that's, I think that's fine. That, like you say, that model is, is quite well worked. Um, and, you know, I don't know. It's it's the sort of thing you you wouldn't spend all your time doing, isn't it? It's uh, oh, I've got an idea for a t-shirt. Let's do that with it, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, funnily enough, this week, um, or well, the twenty second, when was that? Last week, uh, I had an email from Giovanni at Astropad. Uh, so oh. Ast- Astropad is this um, software I'm using. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that hooks up your iPad to your to your screen, um, and he sent out a competition. And I thought when I read it, I thought, "Oh God, here we go! This is going to kick off on uh, on Twitter." Because basically, he's off. Um, they've got a, a painting. Um, uh, who is it by? Uh, doesn't say who the original. Oh, um, Rebecca Ivaxon. Uh and the it's like a, a woman's head um, done in ink and mm-hmm. um watercolor it looks like or, <coughs> or watering ink um anyway it's like they've used it as the feature image for the app um and they want they're bringing out version two and they've put out competition offerings an artist the opportunity to draw rebecca version two um fame comp- compensation for the winner fame glory and 500 us dollars yeah uh and then two days later an email saying <laughs> as you may know we recently issued an open call to find an artist to design astropad's next hero image while the message was well received by some we also heard that it sounded too much like a contest to get speculative work out of it <laughs> well, well yeah. at least they were listening yeah no they did and so they've adjusted it uh, so the compensation is we will discuss proper financial compensation with the artist selected um so you just have to send a portfolio and they will then choose uh, okay. the artist that they'll work with, which well, is how they should have done it. Yeah, um, 
and uh yeah but it's it's great isn't it but the the design community is well ready to jump on people who are asking yeah um, you see you see a huge amount of it don't you because it's you know someone in the marketing department is wondering how they can you know combine getting a new logo with getting loads of publicity and oh yeah you know this is going to go viral everyone's going to want to do this and you know it's easy and it's lazy um which is what pitching uh, free pitching and spec work is from the client i think isn't it that's that's why clients do i'm you know you, you said about uh where uh, a client is is making up um you know the vast majority of your work that they've kind of got you over a barrel but i think a lot of the reasons clients will ask for spec work is because they're unfamiliar with the process and because uh i think it's an like an abdication of responsibility because they quite often and it's it's uh, making that design process into a, a little warm, hugging committee of their colleagues so that the responsibility of commissioning the design is, doesn't fall on one person's shoulders. It's not one person's fault. Um, and I think that getting pitches and uh, design concepts from a, a bunch of different agencies, again, reduces that responsibility. It, the worst thing is when they nick your work and then use it, even though you've yeah. just pitched for it. Um, yeah. I've had that before. I, I worked for an agency for six years and I probably did properly maybe 10, 12 pitches. So if you think each one of those cost us between, let's say, between eight and £15,000 each, mm. that's a lot of money to lose for a small agency, especially it when is. we were just a three-man band. Yeah. Um, now, the problem that I had with it mostly is the rudeness of it. So because you've given something back for free, there's no value attached to it. Mm. Uh, and I reckon out of those, 50, you know, however many we did, I reckon 90% of them, nobody ever got back to us. That we actually had to actively chase to find out what the results were. That's just appalling, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But that's what it, that's what it engenders, isn't it? That kind of behaviour. Yeah. Um, and it's, and we as a society are in danger of this kind of, uh, we've talked about this before, but you know, the kind of the freemium society where everything's free. So therefore it has no real value. So, you know, when you've got digital music, digital film, uh, all those kind of things, if you don't attach a value to them, then they're worthless, aren't they? Yep, absolutely. But they do have value. <laughs> and that's what we need to fight back at. That's what we need to make sure that um, we are not doing these silly practices because there's less money in the market now you know people are making less less mm. money so there's not the room you've got, you've got to think you know if you're a small producer like me i, I can't afford to throw any money at trying to get no. clients no, absolutely not so the only way to combat it is to continue saying no yeah and to continue trying to educate your clients uh, about the process and involving them in that process so that yeah. they feel more of a part of it. Well, that was another topic that we were going to talk about, wasn't it? Education. And, uh, and yeah. I think that client education is something that is really interesting because every client is different. So you have to uh, approach them differently, um, mm. but you don't want to become a nag. And I feel a lot of the time I'm a nag. <laughs> <laughs> I do nag my clients with, you know, when they ask for repetitive things, I'll try and teach them that they need to start thinking for themselves about things. Yeah. Um, but often it's completely ignored. Um, so yeah, I think if you put your prices up, maybe that gets you more respect. Does it? I, I don't know. What What is, how do you get more respect from, from your peers and from clients? That's another good topic for de debate, isn't mm. it? Um, and, and how do you feel, make yourself feel better about giving out that advice without thinking, oh my God, you know, if I have to, you know tell the difference between a gif and a jpeg for the nine millionth time i think you i think you just have a problem with it john because you're a polite southerner <laughs> and if you're a straightforward northerner just tell it like it is ah that's well, the key so what are we summing up then what are we what are we saying so just avoid spec work is bad spec work bad yeah competitions paid, mostly bad paid work good yes <laughs> yeah i think that's how you sum it up uh, it's you will very rarely find a designer or anyone in this industry who's got anything good to say about 
spec work, free pitching, and yet it still goes on. So there's a lot of slightly two-faced people out there. So we all need to man up, say no. Just say no, as Zamo said. Yeah. (laughs) Website of the week, Rob. Website of the week. Uh, It's about education. Um, FutureLearn.com, which was recommended to me by Richard Weston, who we mentioned uh, last week or the week before, um, told me about FutureLearn.com, which is a private company owned by the Open University. And they offer free online education um, across an amazing variety of uh, categories and subjects. Uh, So obviously I kind of just dipped into the creative ones. And they've, again, even just in the creative section, they've got masses of variety. So uh, they've got uh, teaching literacy through film. They've got digital storytelling. Um, storytelling in advertising, the business of film, uh, start writing fiction. No, neither have I. I don't know if it's particularly new. Um, so the courses, they're generally sort of four week courses, even though they're online, they run for a specific date. So I guess there's some kind of, uh, feedback that happens. Um, I'm not entirely sure how they work, but they're all free. How do they make any money? Um, I guess, uh, don't know. I think a lot of the courses use um, kind of assets and things from kind of university courses. Um, so some of the creative stuff is from DNAD. So it may be that it's, you know, DNAD have made their money out of teaching this course. And yeah, they're just they being good and they'll, they'll give it to future learn right. to offer as a free thing. Okay. Um, but there's, yeah, there's oh, this masses, masses of stuff on there. Um, Do you think they've got one on um, astrophysics for idiots? Maybe. They've got one of the geopolitics of hospitality. Um, yeah, they've got... Uh, All our oh. southerners could do with a course. <laughs> Managing my financial journey. You know, there's a a wealth of stuff for us to uh, to have a look at I think brilliant uh, yeah so that's a good one so thank you Richard for uh, recommending that ah that's a good one you got a site for us John? yeah I have it's, um, it's called Locating London I'm sure you've seen it I had never seen it I love maps um, yeah I think there's nothing I like more than a map uh, especially of London um, yeah. And this is a, it's been digitised by Google, I think. It's powered by Google anyway. And there is, there are two maps on there. One is from 1746 and one is from 1869 to 1880. And you can literally, like you would Google Maps, just zoom in and stroll around the streets of London. Um, and it is fabulous. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and I am going to lose hours. I, mean, I only I only clicked on this today, so I haven't had a proper run around. But yeah, I can go to you know the, my um, my sister in law's house on the old Kent Road, wander yeah. around Bermondsey up the streets. Um, it's absolutely brilliant. But the the clever thing about this site is that it's not just a site with a map on it, is it? It's you can um, there are data sets attached yeah, to it. Yeah, so you can. Uh, uh, superimposed data about different kind of social, social, historical events. So yeah. you can look at kind of crime. Um, plague what deaths. else can you look at? Plague deaths. Yeah, parish and ward um, records, and map them all on this these um, historical maps. Yeah. Which is great. I think it. You know, doing that side of it probably takes a little bit of getting used to and working out what yeah, you can do and what you can't. Yeah, but, um, but interest, really interesting stuff. But do you know what I love about it more than anything are the little ships on the on the River Thames? <laughs> yeah. And what I can't get over is the size of the docks. Um, in uh, If you then click through to the 1869 one and just look at Southwark, it is incredible. Yes. It's literally just water. Yeah. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Blimey. <laughs> anyway, this is us live scrolling. 
<laughs> yeah, really good podcast material. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's a that's a fantastic. We lost, a, we lost another. Uh, we're down to minus figures now. Yeah, just got two Jack Russells. They're very quiet tonight. Uh, well, have they? They've been tippy tapping around. They're not very well at the moment. I don't know oh. what they've eaten. I don't know. They've eaten something disgusting. They've, they've not the been fields. on the pies, have they? No, definitely not. They've been eating yeah something horrible. Um, I think we should move on to pies. I think we should. What have you um, got this week, Rob? Well, I have got. You may have already seen it on Twitter. No, I have got from the deli counter at Sainsbury's. I have got a chicken and pork pie. Topped with stuffing. <laughs> oh, filth. It looks quite good. Oh, it's, got, I, I, it's, it's got it's, lots of jelly. It's coming in now, downloading now. <laughs> uh, and I'm having it with a really fiery uh, red pepper chutney. So uh, if you just excuse me one moment while I try this pie. It's an interesting texture. Although... I think I'd use too much chutney because that is a very fiery chutney. <laughs> Blimey, yes. That's quite something. Yeah. That's I can't really taste the pie chili. anymore. I, can't, mm. I really can barely taste the pie. Right. And are you um, washing that down with anything? I'm not. Um, I'm actually dieting. Right. I'm on the 5-2 diet and uh, by a terrible piece of planning, today's a two-day, so I've eaten barely anything all day so I could enjoy this pie. And there is no room in my uh, my diet today for a beer, which is terribly sad. Oh. Well, my pie is also from the deli counter at Sainsbury's. Mm. And uh, it's a lattice pork pie. So it's just a pork pie with a treacle tart sort of topping. Yeah, that's uh, quite good. Only a little bit of jelly um, going in. A pork pie is definitely better at room temperature. They are, aren't they? I'll take the risk. Yeah, nice white pepper flavour, good jelly. Um, yeah, pastry's good. I'm going to give this one a six. You haven't marked your one yet? I haven't. I, haven't. I can't quite decide. I think I've made a mistake in eating it with this chutney because I can't really taste the pie. <laughs> it's quite a good texture because it's real chunky meat in it, which is nice, and it has got lots of jelly. So I think it'll get a six as well. Mm. My... My concern is it doesn't have a pastry top, John. It's got stuffing. Mm. So, I mean, it looks like a pie. It tastes like a pie. I think we'll throw that, throw that out to our listeners. Is this mm. a pie? It hasn't got a pastry lid. Is oh. it a pie? I did take Does, umbrage with someone the could, other day. Can the pastry change? Because mine is literally is, is pastry, but it's latticed, obviously. So there are holes through into the pie. Yeah. Is that allowed? Is there got to yeah, be I, think, I think that's topping? fine. I think as long as it's more than... 38%. Right. That, that's think, the law. I think, I think you're that's in. That's what they wrote down in the EC. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm having mine with a uh, moutarde au fin herbe. Oh, I see. Right, yes. And, How um, is that? It's really nice. Quite punchy. Mm. And I'm washing it down with a, uh, a triple F beer, which is our local brewery here in um, Four Marks. Oh. And they occasionally make lager. And they've made some, so I'm having a gold f- 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 finger. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant, Quite literally. Yeah. And how is it? It's 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 really good. It's yeah. quite hoppy. It's I would call this an IPA rather than a lager. Um, although it has got lager, it's you know clear like a lager. Mm. And it was obviously is it top, uh, bottom brewed lagers? Yeah, oh, I think I don't know. bitters are top brewed. Yeah, I think that's the, that's that's the difference. But anyway, that the um, but it's it's hoppy like an American one, like a Brooklyn. Yeah, which are very good. Um, yeah, excellent beer. I'm quite really jealous of your beer if drinking. You, if you can get hold of that, um, I think you can get it up in London because I saw Triple F on tap at the St Margaret's in okay. St Margaret's. Um, but yeah, it's our local little brewery, which has now got a distillery on the side of it as well. Oh. How delightful. Yeah, they're making gin there. Yeah, everyone's making gin. Yeah, well, it's, it's money to be made, isn't there? There's gold in that, them there. Even my cat's making gin. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. That's not a bad pie to end on, a bad, a good beer to end the show on, I think. Yeah. Um, and I'm looking forward to, uh, we're meeting up next week for a a lunch. 
on yeah. a beer, aren't we? And we're going to have a chat about some ideas for the podcast. Yeah, if you've got any requests or anything you'd like to say, then please get in touch. We've had some really lovely comments and uh, nice little um, back and forth with um, yeah. some of you out there. So thank you very much for listening. Yeah, more of um, that, please. Yeah, we really, really love to hear from you. Um, and we've even had a review on iTunes now. So thank you, whoever that was. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, very kind of you. And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week. We will indeed. We'll be back next week. Yeah. We are. <laughs> All right then, Rob. Well, lovely to speak to you as ever. And you, John. And uh, I'll speak to you soon. Speak to you soon. Ta-da. Bye.